Um, I'm, I'm really happy that I get the opportunity to follow Ralph Sykes. Everybody, <laughs> everybody was raving after him. He's like, oh, that was so good. Let's kidnap him. Let's keep him. And I'm like, I'm next week. <laughs> oh, this isn't going to be good. No. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the calibration station. <laughs> Just like, let's bring Ryan in, let's, let's set the bar low, and then everything else will be good. No, no, that's not right. That's just not right. I, that can't be right. I have more confidence in myself than that. Uh, no, I, I'm truly, I'm, I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, I know I spoke a few months, a uh, few months back, and I really, you know, I spoke from, uh, from talking about Brennan Manning's book, uh, Relentless, uh, God's Relentless Love, and how he chases, how he pursues us. Um, and, and there was something, I was super nervous that morning, and, and I'm a little bit nervous this morning, but not, not nearly as nervous. I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, but I think what's the, the deal is, I've been praying for the past several weeks, because I knew this was coming up. I was like, God, help me. I don't want to procrastinate. Like, give me a message. And I would, he just silence, right? Dead silence. And so I'd be like, well, maybe I could talk about this. And no, don't talk about that. Maybe I can talk about difficult issues in the church. Mm, nope, don't talk about that. All right, well, what else? And it was only about a week and a half ago that I got this message. I started doing this study um, over Joshua. And, and it talks about the walls of Jericho and how the whole story is where the Israelites were coming uh, they crossed over into the promised land, and their first big battle was to march around Jericho, and so they were marching around the walls of Jericho, and um, if you don't know the story, the, the premise or the synopsis of the story is essentially they walked uh, once, uh, once a day for six days around uh, Jericho, the city of Jericho, and these walls were massive. You know, people lived within these walls, um, inside the wall. And so there's practically no way that they were going to be able to get through this wall. And so they, God instructs them, walk around the walls of Jericho for six days, once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, do it six times. And at the end of the seventh time, on the seventh day, Howard, <laughs> sabotaging me. Uh, at the end of the seventh time on the seventh day, uh, they were instructed to yell out and praise and in victory, right? Like as if it was their uh, Dallas Cowboys fan, like they finally won, right? <laughs> like that's how I imagine you guys, because I'm not a, not, not a fan. Oh, sabotaging myself here. <laughs> right? So that's what I imagine. You know, it's like a Dallas Cowboy fan, they finally win, or they finally, I won't even say Super Bowl, because I think that's next level. But, you know, they, they yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll stop there. But they, they win, right, and they shout in victory before anything happens. That's what they were instructed to do. So they do it, and the walls come down. And I'm ruining the end of the story. If you haven't heard it before, I'm, I'm spoiling it. Uh, but what I think is super interesting here is, is we have to go back and see how God sets up this story. You know, I think a lot of times we hear about the walls of Jericho and, uh, and that it's like a story of faith and we just 
do it, and God, we just go where God goes, or God, do what God tells us. But there's a lot that God does to set up this story, and he puts a lot of things in place in order to set us up for victory in that way, and set us up to earn his trust. And I think that's one of the biggest things that God does. So I'm going to fly through some of this stuff, and, uh, and I'm not entirely sure. I prepared, I promise, but I'm not entirely sure where God is going to have us uh, he could have us here till 2 o'clock, so you get better get ready, because it's going to be good. I'm setting the bar high. Who's next week? Dave? It's all right. It's good he's in the other room. All right, so um, I didn't put scriptures up on the screen, because I want you to get your phones out. I want you to get your Bible out. Um, hopefully, you have a Bible. If you don't, um, you know, scoot down the aisle, find someone that does, because um, I'm just going to be firing around a lot of different scriptures, and I'm going to be pulling out these different uh, things that when I was reading through uh, these first six books of Joshua, um, these were things that were just really highlighted to me, and I feel like they were. It's just I didn't have a message before, and so God directed me there here, and so I'm just kind of like gonna fire off. So we'll see how this goes, trusting you. Um, but before we do that, I'm gonna pray because that's always good to do. Settles the nerves. All right, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for uh, your heart for this community. Uh, Father, I pray that we would be uh, like the Israelites, Lord, learning to trust in you, Father, in every way. Um, And Father, I pray that we can learn from the Israelites, Father, that we can learn what to do and what not to do. Uh, I believe that's um, a big part of having your word is so that we can learn, and Father, that we can gain wisdom and understanding. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless us this morning. Father, I pray that uh, even as Ralph Sykes uh, uh, prayed for inspiration, Father, I pray that you would inspire people today, Father, that uh, you would use me to inspire them to want to go and dig more, um, that we're only scratching the surface this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, we're, uh, yeah, I'm just going to jump right in. We're going back to uh, jo- jo- Joshua chapter 1. Um, and this is, just to kind of set the premise, this is where Moses dies. Moses is dead. And so the, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the children of God, are left without a leader uh, for a short moment. Um, and I'm going to pick up <clears throat> in verse 2. And it says this. Uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. All right, so we, we, we see here God is speaking to Joshua, and he's saying, you're my guy, right? Moses kind of raised, he kind of mentored Joshua to, to step into this role. Um, but here we have God speaking. He's being commissioned by God to take over what Moses did. And... Um, and what's interesting is you see in verse 6 there, he says, be strong and of good courage. And then later, in just the next verse over, 
at the, in, in verse 7, it says, only be strong and very courageous. And then in verse 9, it says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And, I, and, and it was interesting to see that God continued to repeat this command, be strong and courageous, be strong and be of good courage. And I feel like God is the same God. You know, a lot of people kind of try to separate the, uh, Jesus of the New Testament to the God of the Old Testament. But I think they're very much interconnected because you can see that God is speaking to the heart of Joshua. He sees that Joshua has insecurities, uh, very similar to the way that Moses had his insecurities with his, uh, the way he spoke and his uh, ability to influence people. And Joshua, I think we can gain our insight from the repetitions of what God is saying, and we can understand that Joshua actually has his, his own insecurities. Be strong and of good, and of good courage. And, um, and in verse 8, it talks about, this is one of those if-then statements. Uh, in the Bible, there's a lot of, if you do this, then this will happen. And God is kind of commanding people, if you do this, then this will happen. Conditional statements. And in, in verse 8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it, meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. That's the if. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So God is saying to Joshua, be strong, be of great courage, meditate in my word, meditate in the law that Moses uh, has, that I've given to Moses. And if you stick in that, you will gain understanding, you will learn my ways, you will learn my heart. And in that, if you do that, you will be prosperous, you will have success. And it's not a whole kind of prosperity gospel kind of idea of, well, Joshua, you're going to have the greatest, you know, little caravan. You're going to have the nice wheels and spokes. You'll be cruising easy. You know, you're going to get the best slaves to carry you through the wilderness. It's going to be nice. It's not like that, right? It's, he's speaking to his insecurity. If you do this, if you stay in my word, if you meditate on it, then I will give you success in your leadership. And he's commissioning, commissioning him for this leadership. So it's all setting Joshua up. And then following right after that, um, you see here that the people submit to Joshua's authority. And he's given them this, the, the, these instructions, and you see them submitting to his authority. And I would imagine that at this time, it was kind of an uh, underlying, volatile, a lot of tension in this moment because Moses is dead, and nobody has officially taken over until someone that submits, right? So it's, I'm, I assume that there would be some murmuring going on, some kind of underlying, well, I think Joshua was supposed to be the guy. He was Moses' guy. But what if, what if so-and-so, I think he's actually better suited, so why doesn't he come up and, and all this stuff, right? So, but strangely enough, they submit, but they say at the end of their statement, only it says in verse 18, whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command them shall be put to death. So they're like, we'll kill anybody that comes against you, Joshua. But only be strong and of good courage. That's what they say to Joshua. And I think it's interesting that the people say, be strong and of good courage to Joshua, their leader. 
Uh, and, I, and, and what I think is happening here is I think it's a sort of confirmation that, that God is giving Joshua. So he's telling Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. And then the people are submitting, and then they say, but be strong and of good courage. We'll follow you. We'll submit to your leadership, but be strong and of good courage. And I think you can take that, that simple uh, phrase and, t- and, and, tr- and have a couple different perspectives you can see that you can see that um, you can take that as maybe they don't have a lot of courage in their leader. Maybe they don't have a lot of hope in their leader and they're, well, be strong of good courage because it's going to take a lot. Um, we'll, try to, we'll try to follow you where, where you want us to go. Or you can take it as they're actually wanting him to be strong and of good courage. Um, we just kind of have to dig deeper and figure that out. Right, JJ? Um, so we, we see uh, that they're submitting to Joshua's leadership and they trust Joshua. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys out of this particular verse is, do you trust the leadership that you are under? Do you trust those who, who have authority over your lives? I heard it uh, explained to me once, um, you know, the whole uh, marriage vows, you know, I submit to your authority, I submit to you, this and that. And it's always, I've done, I performed one ceremony one time, and this was, this is, I, I think that it's probably the same in most uh, wedding ceremonies, or at least the counseling leading up to it, is we're going through the verses and talking about submission. And it's like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> submit, what does that mean, right? Like, we need to define that, right? <laughs> and I think, uh, I heard it explained to me once that, um, that submission is simply placing yourself under the protection of someone else. Instead of thinking of it as being such a negative thing of like someone putting their foot on, on your throat or you know, just kind of clamping down on you and you don't have the freedom to do things, what if it's just actually I want to place myself under your umbrella of protection and I'm saying be my protector, Right? And I think that's what's happening in this situation is, is the Israelites are saying, Joshua, will submit. Be our umbrella of protection. And in that, Joshua is submitting to God, who in turn is saying, be my umbrella of protection. Right, can we all go like this? <laughs> be my umbrella of protection. Yeah. I thought you were going to use, JJ's using it as a, be my umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Nice move, nice. Taking notes? I'll use that one. I just, I love that, that picture, though, of stepping into God's authority and stepping under God's authority and saying, God, you be our protector, especially with what we've seen you do, how you brought us out of Egypt. And, uh, and, I've, I, and I imagine there's a little bit of doubt of what's about to happen. There's some tension because they know that they're moving and they're right on the Jordan and they're about to cross over. So I know that there's a whole lot of tension going on. And so in the next part of the story, we move on to Joshua 2. Uh, we, have, uh, we see here where Joshua sends these two spies into the promised land to scout out the area. Uh, but he wants them to, particularly, to pay particular attention to uh, Jericho. So they travel to Jericho and, and they meet Rahab and she's a harlot. If you don't know what that is, she's a prostitute essentially, and she's got 
um, she's got influence in the city of Jericho, and she's got a, a particular um, connection to the king. And, um, and these spies are, are staying with her. Don't know why, don't ask me, but that's what's happening. I'm reading, I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> and, uh, and so what happens is they spend, they, so the king has these, uh, these lookout people and, and they discover that there's spies in their city. So he sends, uh, to, he sends for Rahab and he says, Rahab, I know that these men uh, have gone into uh, your house. Give them up, surrender them. Um, but she, she doesn't. And she essentially hides them away and says, they have been at my house, but they didn't stay. They actually left. They actually left the city. Um, if you hurry, you'll catch them. And so the king takes her word for it, and he sends some men after, after the spies to try to catch them. And, and the spies spend some time in Rahab's house trying to, to hide out. And she gives them some advice on, on what to do and how to escape. Um, but she also goes into um, the perspective of the people of the promised land uh, looking on to the Israelites. And she says this in verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9, and she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And, you, what, what, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did we remain any, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And, um, and she goes into, enter into some, somewhat of a contract with these spies, saying, Hey, look, how about we do a life-for-life life deal? The spies say, you help us get out, you help us escape with our lives, and we promise to, uh, to, to save you. When we come to Jericho, we promise to save you and your family. And, um, and, and, and so the spies escape. They make their way back uh, to Joshua, and they give a report to what had happened, and they explain that Rahab was telling them, man, they're all faint-hearted. They've lost their courage. They've lost their gusto because they've heard the stories. And it's interesting because Rahab seems to have a whole lot of faith in a God that's not necessarily her God, right? And, it's, um, and everybody's scared of these, of, of these people crossing over. And there's great tension in the air. And so, uh, and so moving on into chapter 3 of Joshua... He, uh, he gets ready. He gets them all ready to, to cross over the Jordan. And God gives Joshua these instructions that um, as they, he's, the, the priests are to take up the ark and pass through all the camp. And if you're just a, like a bystander in the, in the camp, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant pass by you, that's your sign. Like, all right, let's grab our stuff. Let's go. It's time to go. And so they take the ark and they pass it through the whole camp and the whole camp begins to follow them. And God instructs them as soon as they get to the edge of the Jordan to stop. Just stop right there for a moment. And then everybody's going to be watching what's happening next. And as the priests take their first step into the, into the river Jordan, God begins to hold up the waters of the Jordan. 
of the Jordan River. And it's this whole, there's this huge parallel, obviously, with the Red Sea and God holding back the waters of the Red Sea to allow Israel to pass through. It's very, it's very symbolic. It's this huge parallel of, of, um, of how God is with Joshua. And he actually says in, um, in verse 7, he says, And the Lord says to Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that I was with, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he's pressing into that confidence. Trust in me, I'm with you. Trust in me, I'm with you. And in turn, your people will trust you. They will know that I'm with you. So they step into the river and it's holding up, it's damming up the river and it's just building, building and building. And it even goes on to explain that this is a harvest time during, uh, during uh, it's a harvest season. And so during the harvest season, the river would be overflowing, the banks would be overflowing with water. It's just billowing up. It's just the high, the high season for the, for the river. And so it's not just a little stream. I remember thinking of the Jordan when I was a little kid as this huge river and real like rapidy and real cool. Uh, but then I saw pictures later on and it almost looks like a stream. Um, but in this story, it's talking about how it's overflowing the banks. And just, again, it's just reinforcing the miracle that God performs in, in, in damming up the river. And so we read um, that kind of God's instructions is for them to step into the river, but not to cross completely over the Jordan. And they stop right in the middle of the Jordan, and the priests are just standing there holding the ark over their shoulder. And what, it, what they're supposed to do is stop there, and the rest of Israel is going to pass by. They're gonna, it's their time to cross. So they're passing through the River Jordan, and they're passing right by the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember that old story, um, that actually it comes later, that someone tries to hold up the Ark of the Covenant, and they die instantly, right? And so you, the, you have people, you have thousands of Israelites passing by the Ark of the Covenant, and with no casualties, everybody's being super careful, but they're also looking down and seeing that they're walking across dry land over to the promised land. And then at the end of that, um, they're instructed to, for, for the leader of each tribe, for the leader of uh, the tw 12 tribes of Israel, is to take a stone from the midst of the river while it's still dry. Grab a huge stone, bring it on, and we're going to plant a memorial to say, we remember what happened here today. And then they do that, and they fought, the ark finally comes out of the river, and the river washes out, and they continue on. I think there's this hugely significant moment in, in symbolism in what had happened, and I think um, we can see that God was with the Israelites as they came out of Egypt, and, and we have that representation of God as a cloud and uh, guiding them by day, and God as a pillar of fire guiding, uh, protecting them and, at night. And, um, and God is surrounding them, and we see the same thing happening represented through the Ark of the Covenant. And this is a representation of God's, uh, I think he was, his presence was in the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark goes before his people, stepping into the river, holding back the waters. He's in the midst of the people as they all pass through the river, and he follows behind, and he's got their back. He's surrounding them. He's all-encompassing. And I think it's huge for us to be reminded of, uh, of, of the power of God and, and, the, and the miracles that we see here and the miracles that we see God perform here. He's the same God. 
And I think I often forget that he's the same God that performed, the same God that performed these miracles is the same God we serve today. And am I believing in the miracles that God can do? Um, I, I, I think my faith certainly this week was, was challenged in, in even just reading um, through these chapters. And so, uh, and so as they cross over into the promised land and they, uh, God has them perform a few different things, they, they stop eating manna because they have a Passover uh, dinner and they partake of the, of the fruit of the land, they eat some corn, and, and life is good. Life is, is tasting good, it's awesome. Um, and we can see in chapter 5, verse 13, this, I think this is a super cool story, by the way. If you haven't heard this story, I didn't know it, was, it existed. But um, this, uh, this man, it's, I'm just going to read it in verse 13. It says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, the, command, the, the man said, No. He just answered him, No. Are you for us or against us? No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Like, what? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord uh, say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did that. And then it moves on. And I just think this is such an interesting story as well, because we see in this moment, Joshua comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's armies with his sword drawn like, think JJ, but scarier, <laughs> right? And it's just, I would, it seems super intimidating, but Joshua doesn't call for his guard to come or anything, but he just, said, he just goes to the man and says, are you for us or are you against us? He says, no, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it just it, it is so encouraging to me, this, just this snippet of, of what we see of God's army, his angel armies, uh, uh, that God has commissioned them to, to come and fight alongside the Israelites, right? Preparing them for what's about to happen. And, um, and, it's, and, and, I, and I see that the weight of this war isn't, simply on Joshua's shoulders, that God is taking on the most, if like 98% of the war that is happening in this, or within this battle that's about to come up. And, the, and, and God instructs him, all you have to do is walk around Jericho once a day. Don't say anything, just walk around. Don't do anything, but walk around. Uh, and then on the seventh day, do it seven times. And then yell in victory as if you'd fought and done it all. And then the walls will fall down. But what I imagine is happening here is that as they are walking around the walls of Jericho, there is this huge battle going on because you have the commander of the Lord's armies showing up in the, in the commander of the children of Israel's tent and saying, I'm fighting for the Lord. And like, this is holy ground. Man, I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's go walking. And um, 
I, it just super, it just stirs something up within my spirit that I just get really excited of, of, of what's happening here and what's happening behind, uh, behind the scenes. And, you know, God has closed off our sights. And I think sometimes we get little snippets of what's happening in the spirit world and stuff like that. And, and, uh, but I think there's a lot of stuff that we don't see. You know, I was talking about praying and intercessory prayer and, and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff that happens when we pray. And I think a lot of times, even in my own life especially, I've belittled prayers. Like, ah, I don't feel like praying. Or someone will say, hey, you know, hey, Carrie's going to the hospital. Let's pray. Oh, okay. That's not, that wasn't the case this morning. I prayed for Carrie. But I'm just saying as an example, you know, if someone's saying, hey, look, I'm trying to buy a house. Um, yeah, I'm trying to buy a house. Can you be praying for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. And how often do we just walk away? Instead of saying like, hey, you know what? Do you, can, can we take a minute? Can we actually pray for that moment right now? Can you just see what God does? And I think when we do that, we kind of take a measuring stick and we say, all right, this is our expectation of what we, this is what our expectation of what we think God can do. Let's pray for that right now. And then we can measure and see what God has done. And it's not, it's not like saying, God, you better do this or I'm going to lose faith or you better do this or I don't believe in you anymore. But it's saying, God, I'm believing and I have faith and I trust that you are going to come through. Not just for me, but for my friends, for the people around me. And we see that and, and, um, I think God did all of this stuff, all like the crossing over, um, holding up the Jordan River. I think he did it to restore faith. Right? This is the next generation of Israelites stepping into the promised land. Uh, the, the old Israelites, uh, they weren't allowed to step in the promised land because of things that they'd done and for the lack of faith that they had. Even after they saw like them coming out of Egypt, even after holding back the Red Sea, they weren't allowed. So after the last one died, it's time to move. It's time to move into the next promised land. And I think God is performing all these miracles to restore faith in himself, to show, hey, I'm with you as a, as a nation, as a country. And during those times, a lot of the gods, they believed that the gods would stop at the line of territories. So the God of this nation, if we further our nation, that means our God has more territory, right? They're fighting for their God. But what's interesting is that the God of Israel the stories carried far beyond and scared a lot of people that as soon as they stepped into that territory, he was doing a lot of things. He was working a lot of things before, um, before they even showed up. And we see that happen uh, like with Jonah and the well. You know, God crossing over into different territories and, and people being in awe and shock of, who is this God that he can go anywhere you go? You can't run away from your God? That's our, that's our God. And so I believe that we, through these stories, it can restore a sense of faith. It can restore a sense of trust and trusting who our God is. And that we can ask ourselves a question, what is the Jericho in our lives that we can walk around, that we can pray over, and essentially reinstill a, 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 a faith of prayer, a, a, a consistent practice of prayer in our lives in a way that we can believe and have faith that God is going to come through when we pray. 
And it's like that song says, but even if he doesn't, I will praise him, right? Even if he doesn't, like I'm still going to praise him. Even if he, even if I've got to fight this battle, I, whatever it is, I'm going to praise him. Even if I get discouraged, I'm going to praise him. Um, one of the coolest things that I, I saw, and it was really convicting for me in this story, is that God would tell Joshua, hey, I want you to do this, this, and this. And the coolest word, I think, is so. Joshua did it. So he did it. And it's like, man, do I do that? If I feel like God is prompting me to go pray for somebody, it's like, hey, Ryan, go pray for that person. So Ryan did it. It's like, I don't always do that. Um, so I, I don't know. I hope I am encouraging to you guys. I'm seeing a lot of people. There's some agreement. There's like, oh, some maybe I want there to be some sort of conviction. I think it's good. I think it's healthy for us to grow. And I hope that this has inspired you to want to go home and read through this book. I think it's super interesting. Um, there's some discouragement later on in chapter 7 because somebody does something they shouldn't do. But I'm not going to tell you what that is, so you can go find out for yourselves. <laughs> um, Becca, if you don't mind going and run and grab Dave, uh, the band's just going to come up. Um, and just a, a final point, uh, I think there's so many people that walk around with so much negativity, like a, just a dark cloud um, hovering over their lives. And I think so many people are just really discouraged all the time. And what I've seen is that their language uh, is a reflection of that in the way that they are saying, man, you know, life's just not good. Life stinks. Um, I'm just sad all the time or I'm upset all the time. Um, things aren't really going my way. And I really believe in the power of our words, that the power of our words have the ability to shift things. And it's that thing, again, the, uh, the, the thing of prayer again, right? Where if we pray into a situation, we create a spirit of thankfulness. If we're thankful for the things that God has blessed us with, if we're thankful for, for the things that God has moved, if we say, actually, God, you've done this. I remember praying that one thing, and you've pulled through. Uh, I want to give thanks in that, right? If we can continue to put our focus on God, and not put our focus on the impossibility of something happening, then I think what will happen is we'll begin to see our faith rise, and we'll begin to see our joy rise, and we'll begin to see that we can trust in a God that actually moves. Man, I love that. I'm so encouraged this week, guys. I hope you guys are encouraged this morning. Uh, I love all y'all. This is a fun community to be a part of. Um, yeah, I'm just going to pray, and then we have one more song. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, God, that you um, have spoken to us in different ways. Father, I pray that you would just um, that you would just move in a way that, uh, that maybe we haven't experienced yet. Father, I pray that if, if there are people in the room, God, that you would, uh, if there are struggles, in their lives, Father, I just pray that you would just begin to move in their lives. Father, I just pray for the, uh, I just pray for those, for the, for the commander of the Lord's armies, Father, just to, just to come and fight our battles, Lord. 
Father, that you would take the weight off of our shoulders in this war. Father, the war that we can't see, Father, the war that isn't against uh, flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities, Father, against spirits. And Father, that you would uh, help us to gain insight into those things, Lord, that we can trust you. Yeah, Father. And Lord, I just pray into any relationship, Father, that uh, where trust is broken. Father, I pray that you just begin to restore hope in those things as well. So just as I'm praying and, and just as we get into this song, I just want you to, to, to have that Jericho in your mind. What is the Jericho? What is the impossible thing that you want God to bring the walls down? What is that thing?